Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the We Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Menares. I believe that we all need a space to speak our authentic truth, as well as a space to hear the truths of real and vulnerable people so that we can better understand that we are not alone. Hearing the experiences of others encourages us to step into the light in our own lives. It is through owning our stories and learning to speak our truth that we are able to grow and rise above the challenges we face and step into the full power of all we were created to be. You will hear many topics discussed in this space with people from all over the world. We hope that you feel welcomed into a community of growth and that this space will invite you to uncover the absolute greatness that is already inside of you. Oh, and don't forget, check out all the We Podcast episodes as well as the We Spot blog over at thewespot.com. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey there, it's me. You're listening to episode number 89, DACA, Dreamers and Immigration, and What's at Stake. In this episode, I get to talk in the roundtable setting with our WeSpot leaders, Heather Williams and Amy Norris, and with WeSpot blog writer, Betsy Valdez. Betsy is originally from Pachuca, Hildago, Mexico. She came to the United States with her family 22 years ago, chasing the well-known American dream. Greeley, Colorado is where her and her family have resided over the past 22 years, and it's a place she calls home. She's been married for 11 years and has three little girls. She's the founder of Be Empowered, a space created to encourage others to be the change, to be empowered, to be the world changers, the difference makers, and the heart changers. Through Betsy's journey, she continues to be brave by sharing her story, her truths, her mess. Instead of allowing setbacks in her life to hold her back, she's determined to use her mess as her message of hope, strength, and belonging. Her calling in life is to encourage and empower others in their own journey, regardless of color, race, religion, or legal status. She believes we must all have a vision and not division. Betsy plans to continue her journey as an empowerment and motivational speaker, as well as an active community volunteer, leader, and advocate for immigrants and refugee rights. She is also passionate about creating empowered leaders in order to serve and transform. We talk in this episode about DACA, what's been happening with DACA, and how it affects those who are dreamers. Since recording this episode, there have been a few changes. According to the Immigrants Rising Organization, and that's at immigrantsrising.org, despite the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to reinstate DACA to its original 2012 form, the Trump administration has since announced changes to the program. The Trump administration has been sued for this move to subvert the Supreme Court's decision on the DACA program. The full article is linked in the show notes, and it's a great place to stay up to date on all of the current events concerning DACA and immigration. 
We are grateful for Betsy and her willingness to have this conversation with us and share her heart and her story. Betsy is a voice of love, strength, and advocacy, and we are so grateful for her. So we can't wait for you to hear. So let's dive in to our roundtable interview with Betsy. Welcome to this episode of the WE Podcast. I'm very excited to have some amazing ladies here today to talk about a really important issue that I feel like needs to be talked about more. But before we dive in, I would love for each of my guests here to say hello and introduce themselves and let you all know who they are. Feel free to hop in and, and say hello to our listeners. Hi, everybody. Heather Williams here, and I am excited to jump into this conversation tonight with Sarah and Amy and Betsy. Uh, enjoying my air conditioning right now because it's super hot outside and nice and cold inside. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Norris. Yes, I am also excited to be here and have this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us, Sarah. Hello, ladies. I'm Betsy Valdez, and thank you once again, Sarah, for having me here one more time. It is quite the honor to to be here with you, ladies, so I'm very excited. Well, I'm excited to have you. So for those of you who are listening, Betsy is our special guest. Amy and Heather are leaders in the We Spot. Betsy is a writer for the We Spot blog. And I had the pleasure of interviewing her in episode number 57 on the WE podcast where we dive in deeper into her story and what's brought her to where she is today. So I know after listening today to our discussion, you're going to want to go back and listen to that episode and get more history on Betsy. Today, I've asked Betsy to be here with us so that we can talk about an issue that I feel like it's not being talked about enough. I feel like there's a lot of other things that are being talked about very loudly, which is amazing and they need to be. And I feel like this issue, which we're going to talk today about DACA and immigration, I did do some reading on ice and all of that before this because I honestly didn't I mean I knew some but not enough I still don't know enough these things are an issue obviously and and they're they're not getting enough of a voice to them I think and so I really want to dive in and be able to raise awareness on the topic to increase our voices in this area and just help people to understand exactly what is happening, what is going on. Because I think that's one of the biggest things is a lot of people just don't really understand. And one of the things that I love about Betsy is that she talks about being a face and, you know, a human being behind immigration and and what that looks like. And so we can humanize this rather than what's happening so often is the dehumanization of immigrants. Betsy, I don't know if you want to give a little background about your story, maybe uh, a summary. And when people want to know more, they can go back to that other episode and listen. But I'd just love you to kind of let people know who you are, where you've come from, and then we can dive more into the, the topic at hand. Sounds good. Well, thank you again for having me here. 
I agree with you, Sarah. I think that this is definitely something that isn't talked about as much. I have to say, though, that you, I, I have seen more come out of the shadows, as I like to say, come out, come forward and talk about this because even though there's a lot of fear because it's in regards to our safety, it's, you know, the being here and in the U.S., it, it's hard. There's, there's just a lot of fear around that. So I can understand why many are still afraid to, to even and talk about that. And you know, there are many issues going on right now that are getting a lot of attention. And quite honestly, and I think I've had this discussion with you where sometimes I wonder, is my problem even a big enough problem for me to talk about? You know, then, then I really do think about that. And it's, yeah, absolutely. It is, it is important. And I think that it's important for others to, to know a little bit more about that. For me, it is important for, for this issue to have a face, for it to have a voice. Because I think often we are guilty of, you know, we hear of this issue, but it's not, we don't know anybody close to us. We don't know somebody, you know, we don't think it could be our neighbor, our cashier, our doctor, our nurse. And so we kind of dismiss it. We don't think it's as real as, you know, we just see it in social media. We might see it in the news. But I think that once we see a face, once we we can, we see, we hear a voice, I think it's so much more personal. And I think that, you know, at that moment, it's when people start listening, like, oh, like, it's real, you know, and at least for me, I think that that's what it's done. Because I've said it before, and I'll say it again, you know, I'm not here to change anybody's mind, you have your opinion, everybody has their own opinion on immigration, on on any issue, really. But I'm here to share my story. I'm here to share a little bit about what I know about my experiences. And and we'll go from that. We will have a conversation. And it is having a an open conversation of let's let's talk about it. What don't you know? What would you like to know? And honestly, I think if we dealt with a lot of the issues that we have today, I mean, how much different would things but anyway, a little bit about DACA. So that's that's what we're talking about today. So DACA, I'm a DACA recipient, and we're also known as or referred to as dreamers. The Obama administration created the the DACA program, which allowed about six hundred to eight hundred thousand individuals to to qualify for, you know, for an opportunity to, to be here without the fear of being deported. You know, obviously, it was certain young people who were brought to this country as children. So it, def- so it really gave us this protection from being deported. Thanks to this program, I was able to obtain my, my DACA status, um, which is still an unlawful status, but it still gave us this you know, it gave us hope. It gave us this opportunity to be in this country. It allowed us to go go to work. It allowed us to go back to school and pay in-state tuition. And it really depends. It varies from state to state. There are some states that are a bit more strict. There are uh, some states that have allowed DACA recipients to to get a few more benefits. But at the end of the day, it just it gave us it gave us hope. I think that's that's the one word that comes back to me. It gave us the ability to be in this country and truly come out of the shadow. And so this was it was nothing. It was never meant to be anything permanent. It was only to be a temporary solution. Obviously, we would want more. 
But, you know, at that point, I think it's, you know, we take what what's given to us and we're grateful, at least for myself, I'm grateful that that was something that was, it was an opportunity given to me, something that needs to be renewed every two years. All of our information is given up. So at the time that you go and apply for this, you have to turn everything in, go back so many years and and let them know where you've lived, your parents' information, you know, take your fingerprints, no criminal record whatsoever. And so there are so many, so many things that needed in order for you to even qualify to be considered or to be allowed to into the program and to be a DACA recipient, to be a dreamer. So again, about 600 to about 800,000 qualified for this program. And, you know, it was all nice and hoping that even in the future, we would get some kind of pathway to citizenship. Even, even then, you know, it was, it wasn't, there was talk about it. I think that there were promises, you know, here and there, but it never, it never really reached that point. But it was in September of 2017. At this time, now we're into the Trump administration. And in September of 2017, President Trump, he, this is when he rescinds DACA. So he says he is no more DACA. That's it. It was an unconstitutional exercise by the executive branch. And so it was illegal. So he said this, it, it ends now of us. This was devastating. This was, you know, right here with the doc, with DACA, we were allowed to be in this country and dream. You know, and I think that that's why we're referred to as dreamers, because we truly dream. We are here truly seeking that, chasing that American dream. And at this point in September of 2017, I think that was a huge blow to the thousands of DACA recipients that were in this country. And so at that time, there were multiple lawsuits filed around the country that were challenging the Trump administration because, you know, obviously we we were fighting. We're saying this isn't right. We were given this opportunity. We're, We're renewing every two years. We're doing everything right. Again, we are individuals with no criminal record. We all we ask is that is for an opportunity to be here. So at that point, and, and I and I share it in the other, in the previous podcast, you know, at that point, it's like something woke up in me, something just, you know, it's something sparked, I needed to be a voice, I needed to, you know, as scary as it was, I needed to use that moment to show up, show up not only for myself, but also show up for my community and for the thousands of dreamers who are it's devastating. It's something, you know, we are living in constant fear and constant uncertainty because we don't know what our future holds. We don't know if tomorrow, you know, President Trump says that that's it, there's no more. And now because they do have all this information from us, then we're done. You know, then we are at in danger of being deported. But in 2018, you know, after several attempts, you know, of challenging the the Trump administration, it was at that time that they decided that they would continue with the DACA renewals. So that meant that we still had a chance to continue to renew. So if we had permits would expire, you know, any t- in the near future, that we would still be allowed to to renew. But no new applications would be accepted which again, devastating, another, another devastating blow because how many other individuals would qualify for this program? How many would it impact? How many would, it, would this program allow them to, to, go, to go to work, to go back to school, 
to, you know, to, to keep dreaming. You know, we, we continued to fight. We continued to many, many lawsuits after that uh, as well against Trump. And some of them were, were also against DACA, right? Because we have a lot of many Republicans don't accept or not in favor of DACA. So many other states were, were fighting against DACA that it really needed to come to an end. But I believe it was in uh, at the beginning of 2019, where I think it was in January of 2019. This is when President Trump, he supposedly had a deal where he was asking for funding for the for the wall in exchange uh, for temporary protections for all of us dreamers. You know, that, that wasn't the case. Not, there was nothing decided at the time. So that was just nothing happened there. Then in, 2000, in June of that same year, the Supreme Court finally agrees that they'll start listening to arguments or cases on what President Trump decided on, on DACA. He, they were going to start hearing arguments on, in 2019 to see what they would decide, what would be the future for many of us to dreamers here. And as many of you know, recently, June 18th, exactly June 18th of, of this year, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of DACA. And so that was such a huge, huge day. I remember back in November, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going all over the place, but back in November when the Supreme Court agreed to start listening to arguments, to start listening to to take on the, the DACA case, they said that they would take anywhere between, you know, three to six months for them to decide what the future of DACA would be. And I remember at the beginning of this year, as we were getting closer and closer and closer to the dates that they had, you know, like they said, okay, if it's, if it doesn't happen in April, then it's going to happen in May. If it doesn't happen in May, it's going to happen in June. But we knew that it would be no later than, than June. And so, of course, June was a month full of what's going to happen. You know, I think that it was for myself, and I'll speak for myself, I was just an emotional wreck. You know, it was what's going to happen. Can I even plan ahead of what my future will be here in the U.S.? What if they do end it? What if the Supreme Court doesn't rule or doesn't, is not in our favor? Thank goodness that on that day they did. They, you know, it was a major blow to the Trump administration because they did. They blocked the the attempt to end the program. They knew that, they said that they didn't have enough reasoning. The Trump administration did not have enough reasoning to end the program. So that's why they, they ruled in favor of DACA. But really what this did, what their Supreme Court did, they left it open for other ways. They left open other ways for the Trump administration to possibly end the program. So right now we're really sitting at a time where we were here sitting and, and wondering, will he end it? Will he, you know, it is an election year. Will he, does he have enough time to come back and say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to end DACA, you know, so I wish I had the answers for you, Sarah, Heather, Amy, I wish I had the answers. And for anyone listening, you know, that, you know, President Trump is not going to do this, or yes, he's going to do this. I wish I knew. I wish many of us, many of us knew what truly is going to happen to to DACA. But the truth is, is we don't know. We don't know what, you know, President Trump can say tomorrow and give an ex- executive order and say it's we're starting all over again. So I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. What I do know is that only Congress can take action to create a permanent solution for DACA recipients. 
And so, and that is done through a federal legislation. So again, I think that we still sit in, in the unknown. I, I don't know what, I don't know what the future holds for, for DACA right now. We know that we celebrated this, this win from, win from the Supreme Court. It was small, but it was something that, that we celebrate. I know for me, that day was so emotional. I mean, it started, I, I can't remember, it was probably 9, 10 in the morning. And I remember sitting right here in my kitchen table and I was doing some other work. And then I started getting multiple messages and said, and um, it was friends letting me know that DACA was still alive. And at first I wasn't sure what they were talking about. Right, I don't have cable, so I couldn't turn the, the news on. But, you know, I started scrolling through Facebook because surely someone would would share something like that. I'm a part of different DACA groups. And so I knew that someone would have some information. And sure enough, I mean, at that time, it was when it was decided that the Supreme Court had ruled in favor of DACA. And I couldn't tell you, I mean, it was so many emotions. You know, I, I was crying. I called my mom. I said, Mom, you know, we're still here we are still here where it's still alive. And I know that the fight still continues. I know that there is still much, much, much work to be done. But at that time, it's like, I'll take that win. I'll take it and we will celebrate. And uh, it, it was just taking a deep breath, you know, because we knew that since 2017, when President Trump started all this, you're kind of holding your breath, like what's going to happen? You don't know what's going to happen. So you're just kind of living day by day. And I know that we all do, but this is specifically to, to this program is we don't know. I don't know if mm-hmm. my life still continues here in the U.S. or if I'm going to, to be sent back to a country that, yes, it's, it's where, where I was born, but it's a country that, you know, I have not been in for, for 23 years. So mm-hmm. this is a place that I call home. It's a place that I, uh, that, that has my heart, that has, that has everything. So it's hard. Sorry, yeah. maybe that was a lot, but. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Thank you for all of that. Can you tell us, like, who gets granted DACA? I know you said that you were, you're a DACA recipient, but also what does it stand for, maybe? So DACA, the DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And so not everybody can apply for, for DACA, not anybody. Right now, nobody, I don't think, I think it's still being decided whether, you know, USCIS is accepting new applications or not. Right now, what we do know is that people can continue to renew. When it started, when the program was created, it was meant for certain young people who were brought to this country as children, because what they said is that we lacked intent to violate the law. So we didn't know what was happening, right? We were brought here as children. We had to be, many of the requirements were, we had to be at the time of arrival, it had, we had to have been 16 or younger, continuously residing here in the U.S., so never have left the country from the time that we have had arrived. We had to be enrolled in school or graduated from high school and obviously pr- show, um, provide proof of that and no felonies. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest things, felonies. There is no criminal record whatsoever. I mean, mm-hmm. you even, we even had to, we had to go to the DMV and if there were, how many tickets did we have? How many citations and how many, all these things, you know, I mean, when I tell you that I remember when we were younger before DACA even existed, I know my mom always said, 
keep everything, all of your documents, keep every single document that you can, because you don't know if one day you'll need it. Well, I'm glad, I'm grateful that I listened to my mom because when it was time to apply for this, it was, I mean, I kid you not, it was probably going back 10 years of when, when did I get here? Where did we live? Going back to all the different places that we lived, all of my parents' information. I mean, it's, it was a lot, a lot, a lot of information. And so for those who say it's easy, for those who say that this is just a handout, for those who say that, you know, it's criminals, it is not. You know, we had to be checking in every two years provide our fingerprints every two years, they, we are, they check on us. We are definitely, you know, if, if they were to end it, they know exactly where to find us. Mm-hmm. And so that is the, I think that's the fear that many of us have that we've given everything that we have because we want to, we want to be a part of this country. We want to be here legally. We want to do it the right way. Thank you for sharing that, Betsy. This is Heather. I have a couple of questions. Yeah. You shared with us that it's still considered an unlawful status. So what does that mean? What, what rights do you not have that I have? So we can't vote. I know a couple of weeks ago, I shared something about that, you know, especially here, here in Colorado, as it was, you know, time for, for everyone to go out and, and exercise your right to vote because many of us don't. And I think that that's another misconception. We can't vote. We, we're not here as residents. We are not here as citizens. We are here as DACA recipients. We don't receive any help from the government. We can't collect food stamps or anything from no, no government help whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So what like else? Medicaid, food stamps, no, uh, WIC, no programs? No programs like that. No. What about unemployment? You know, I believe that we, that we can, but I know recently with some of the things that President Trump had talked about, I think that those were things that he could potentially use against us. So, and I'm not saying, I'm sure that there are some DACA recipients that probably have filed for unemployment, especially during the COVID-19, during this pandemic. But besides that, I know that he had made it very clear that he only wanted immigrants here who were able to, to provide, who were able to to work in this country and not really collect any unemployment or again, asking for any assistance, government assistance. So I think that many of us are very like, Oh, I don't even know if I want to mess with that. And then what is your pathway after DACA? How does that work? There's nothing. There is nothing. As of right now, there is nothing. Right now, what we have is this temporary solution. So you Um, can't apply for citizenship or anything like that? No, you cannot. And And then what happens with, with, if, if this program goes away, you have a family, you have a husband and children. Mm -hmm. What happens? Well, I mean, it's, it's really what, what, uh, what's decided after this. I mean, again, I don't know what, I don't know what President Trump, I think he made an announcement a few days ago that he is planning on giving dreamers pathway to citizenship. But I don't know that. We don't know if that's true. I don't think he has the ability to make that decision. Again, I think that it would, Congress is the only, is the only one who can, can decide that. They are the only ones who can take that action, who can create a permanent solutions, permanent solution for DACA recipients. I don't think President Trump can do that. He can probably start something and get us in the right direction. But truly, after DACA, there's nothing. If the program ends, and that's why it's, I think that there's this urgency 
for mm -hmm. if there's DACA recipients listening to this, and I do try to share it on social media, DACA recipients, if they're able to reapply right now, please do so. Renew your, your permit because that gives you two more years. After those two years, we can't guarantee anything else, right? But at least it gives you two years in case something were to happen, in case President Trump does start something, in case Congress does decide on something. It gives us two years to be here at least under this protection. And no, you can't, as DACA recipients, we can't just go in and apply for residence. First, we have to go through residency. Okay. And you have to be a resident for so many years, depending on your, for example, me. I'm, um, I'm married to a resident. And I would have to, if he... He, he has petitioned for me. So that means that I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm still, right now my application is on hold because of the pandemic, but at least my application is in. Basically, I need someone else to do that for me. I can't just say, hey, I want to be a resident. Hey, I want to be a citizen. But when I do become a, a resident, hopefully in the near future, because I am married to a resident, that means that I have to wait a total of five years before I'm able to apply for citizenship. If I am married to a citizen, I, wait, I have to wait for three years before I can apply for my citizenship. So eventually there will be that opportunity. But again, it's really through marriage. And I believe if family, so my my mom or my dad can can do that or my adult child can do that for me. Obviously, my, my daughters are, are young, so that hasn't even crossed my mind. My parents, you know, they're in a very similar situation as me. So there's there's none of that. And so that's where many dreamers, that's where they that's where they stand. They have no one to turn to. So it really is waiting to see what what con Congress does, what President Trump decides to do. Okay. And your children were born in the U.S., so they're considered citizens, correct? They are. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then if it, let's say worst case scenario, you have, you, you're forced with the cho choice or the, the requirement to leave, your family would either have to go with you or stay here. It wouldn't be an option for you to stay because you have children that are citizens. Right. Uh, or, you know, or I would go back to the illegal status. So that means that I, I no longer can apply for, for a job. I can no longer have a driver's license. I can no longer hold any of the things that I hold today because of DACA. So I lose all of that. And so really it's going back and, and hiding if that was something that I decided to do, if I decided to stay. Mm -hmm. But it was, why, right? why would we stay? Mm -hmm. Why would we stay hiding? I mean, that's not living. That's mm -hmm. not living. So it, yeah, it's either... My parent, my my children, my my girls stay here with my husband, or they follow me back to back to Mexico. It's crazy to think about that, you know, because it's even even though it's there's a possibility, it's still something that I'm like, no, it's just this is this is home, right? This is home. Would Mexico be the only option, or could you attempt to go to Canada or somewhere like that? Um, quite that honestly, has different immigration. You know, I think it's definitely something to look into. Probably go back to Mexico for for a while. But you know, I have a lot of I have a lot of family back in Mexico and it's, you know, life is life is tough as well. And so I don't know, I couldn't tell you how life would be. I think if there was an opportunity to go to another country, perhaps. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. But maybe looking into that a bit more. But again, it's not something that I have really like 
okay, this is, this is plan A, plan right. B, plan C, D, E, F, you know. You I hope you never have to, to look into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully not. But, you know, it's, I think it does bring a, up a good point of what if, right? Like, what if that does happen? What, what is my plan? Because I do have small children and I can't just leave them. I can't just, you know, I, I think that there has to be some sort of a plan. Yeah, here's the thing that gets me, I'm chiming in, (laughs) is it it really baffles me, you know, the political parties are presenting this to the American people, that people who are receiving DACA, what does our president say, like, what has he called people, thugs and and criminals, yes, yeah, yes. And to hear, you know, you can't even collect government help, you're getting, I mean, you are way more regulated than people who are citizens. You know what I mean? Like, U.S. citizens aren't, like, who have criminal charges are supposed to have all these rules and regulations that aren't even being followed up whatsoever but you don't even have those charges and that label is still being put on you. It's just, it's just baffling to me to hear like how distorted we're making people's view of this. Yeah, We've resorted to dehumanizing entire groups of people to gain votes. Mm-hmm. And that is horrifying. And you know, that's one of the things that, that comes to my mind um, when, when President Trump was elected and after making all those remarks you know, of, of immigrants, and I think immigrants in general, of being, you know, Mexico not sending its best, the, its best people. It sent, you know, criminals and rapists and whatever, whatever the list, you know, whatever, whatever else he said. And at that moment, you know, it was, gosh, it was heartbreaking because, you know, I'm not saying that everybody, you know, that we're all perfect angels here. Of course, just like any, I mean, just like, in any anywhere that you go, you're going to find the bad apples, right? There's always going to be bad people, bad immigrants, bad anywhere, right? But I think I can speak for the majority who come to this country. They truly come to this country looking for a better opportunity, something that back in our country, back in their country, we did not have. And so I felt like for a while, it was like, I'm hustling for my, for my worth because I'm trying to prove you and the world that I am not a criminal, that I am not a rapist, that my dad is not a rapist, that my mom is not a criminal, you know? And honestly, it's, it's, it's tiring and it's just exhausting to, to constantly be in this, in this hustle and this just fighting for your worth. And I think throughout all this, throughout this journey, it's made me realize that, you know, regardless of what is said and what isn't said, I am worthy. I, I am a worthy human being because above anything else, above the labels, that's exactly what I am. I am a human being. I am a human being just asking for that, for that opportunity, not only for myself, but for my daughters, for my family. And for anybody else that listens to this and says, heck yeah, you know, that gave me, that just empowered me and that gave me that, that strength, that strength to keep going. Because let me tell you, I think that many times, many, many times I've had wanted to just throw in the towel. Like, man, this is hard. It's, it's exhausting. We can't, we can't, I know that I can't, it's, 
the fight continues and how can we do that? I think that it's done through things like that, Sarah, like this, Sarah. Um, and I, that's why I thank you. And I appreciate you so very much because I think that you've been such a, you're such a powerhouse. You have, you've been such a wonderful voice, not only for this, but so many other issues that we are facing today. And this is where it starts. We start having these conversations. I don't know it all. I don't think anybody knows it all. And so if we come forward and say, hey, you know what? I want to know more. Let's ask questions. Let's ask those. Let's have this conversation because I want to be informed. But when we're walking around misinformed and just assuming and believing the media, that's when that hate starts. That's where we start believing all of these things, you know, that about criminals and, and rapists. And we're far more than that. We're, we're not that. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you spoke to that because this is Amy. Yeah. You said the word handout that people have said that you've heard people say that. And I can't even imagine like hearing all the work that you have to do. And uh, it's almost like you can't make a mistake. Like you are being watched all the time. And I can't even imagine that's just not human. So I, I can't imagine. I'm so glad that you spoke to that to share that. And I would love for you to share you know, along with the whole, the media and, and how, you know, there might be this certain definitely prejudice out there about this handout or what's trying to happen or, you know, what the things that you guys have been called as far, you know, as far as like you said, criminals and rapists. And I mean, that's horrible. And I would love for you to share like why your parents decided to come here to begin with, because I think there's, there's a reason. And, you know, and thank God that you're here. And the fact that you didn't really have a choice as a, as a child either. Do you know what I mean? And I think people forget that too. Yeah, absolutely. And I share this in, in the other podcasts as well. Yeah. Um, that, and I did hear know, that. Yeah. If you could share briefly just to yeah, who has yeah, listened to that. You know, and I think that's one of the things that we that we have to to really consider is that nobody would leave their home country if they had a perfect life there, if everything mm-hmm. was simple and easy, if life was if life was just good. And I know for for myself, for my parents, you know, they they did decide to come to this country because again, it's that American dream, right? It, it sells. It's it's everyone wants it. I mean, this country is viewed as the land of opportunity. You know, I, I had the opportunity to do uh, to share my story on stage a few months ago. And I remember saying, you know, if this is the land, the land of the free, the land of opportunity. And when you're back in, in a country that doesn't have all that, and you know, this seems this is heaven. You want to be here. You want that opportunity. You want something better. You know, there were times that I was young. I, I arrived here at the age of nine. And so I still remember a lot of things back at home. And there were many times that we struggled to have food on the table. We struggled to, I know my mom shared with us that there were times that she feared losing our home. I and mean, she had to go around and ask, you know, family and friends for money because, she didn't want to lose the only home that she had for her daughters. And, and so we didn't come to this country because we had it. His wife was perfect back at home. No, it was hard. And we were really, we were looking, we were something better. We were part of that also was my sister. My sister was born with a disability and she was the help and the assist, the, the assistance back at home was limited, uh, probably more financial for financial reasons, you know, and so my, my parents knew that the way 
to give their daughter something better would be to come here, to leave everything behind. And so I often think of that, you know, that wasn't an easy decision. I mean, to leave everything that you know behind, everything, to your home, your family, your culture, your language, everything. It's not an easy, it's not an easy or simple decision, but it's one that they made knowing that we had something better over here. We had something to look forward over here. And even though it wasn't easy either coming here and coming here undocumented, it has not been easy. You know, I can tell you that I am beyond grateful for everything that this country has given me. Everything, you know, is it perfect? No, I don't think it is anywhere. But it's, it has given me, it has given me a life that I don't know if I would have had that back at home. And, and I'm grateful for that. And so again, living here, I think now more than ever, I think that, you know, that the prejudice and, and, you know, the struggles, um, I think you, you were talking about Amy, that has always existed. But I think now more than ever, it's something that, that it is seen. It is something that, Again, it's like we have to fight for worth. We have to fight for this is who I am. I'm I'm um I'm no criminal. I'm I'm a human being, just like you, just like anyone else who wants just and yeah, I, I hope I answered your question. I don't know if I <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, you totally did. I just I'm I mean like I'm just gonna speak from my heart because that's what I'm feeling and I'm so glad you are talking about this. I know for me personally until you had your podcast when it aired, I don't know, several months ago, maybe even more, I wasn't like aware. Like, I don't know. I am very, I wasn't aware. I mean, honestly, and it made me aware. And I was so thankful to have my eyes open to something that I can't even imagine or I've never even experienced. And I feel like more than ever, we need so much more compassion. You know, we're all so quick to just listen to all the opinions and we're not listening to people's experiences or uh, what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm just so thankful you're here to to talk about this because it is, it's really eye-opening. We had to have, I think most of us, not out of, you know, not labeling it like right or wrong, but just because that's how it is, it's your journey. We get real blindsided on our journey sometimes that if it doesn't affect us, does we don't need to be aware of it. And these are things we really need to be aware of, you know, because in a perfect world, uh, which we don't have, you know, we think certain things are exist or there's, or things are just, or things are, you know, if you feel like compassionately, you would never do that to somebody. Well, that would never happen, but it does. And it's happening a lot. And I, I can't imagine, I don't know if you can speak to like, what, what conversations do you have with your kids about this, you know, about uh, DACA and your journey? And, you know, have you talked about the other side? Like, well, what if, you know, things get cut off tomorrow? Or, you know, do you, do you have those conversations? Are you open to talking about that? I'm more with my oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, my other little ones are probably a little young to, to truly understand. I mean, mm-hmm. I, when um, recently when the Supreme Court, court, you know, they were in favor of DACA, ruled in favor of DACA, I did share with them, I said, hey, you know, you know, that mom, mom is a, a DACA recipient, mom is a dreamer. And so right now, the Supreme Court, they, they're allowing us to, to remain here and to hold on to DACA, you know, and so for me, it's explaining to them in, in obviously in words and in, in a way that they understand, like, 
mom is still here <laughs> and mommy can still be here. And they're like, yay, you know, <laughs> but truly it's, you know, I don't think that they'll ever understand, you know, everything that, um, I mean, my, my oldest is 11 and I think of when I was, when I got here to this country, I was nine. I could never imagine my daughter going through something like that, you know? But anyway, I, I, I do try to have those conversations. I remember when, when President Trump got elected, one of the things that my daughter asked me, again, my oldest, was, Mom, are you, do you have to leave? Mom, do you have to go back to Mexico? And I, can't I said, imagine that. I just can't imagine that. Yeah. And because that day that they went back to school, that following day, there were kids in, you know, in the famous red hats and uh, excited that, you know, President Trump had been elected. And so she had asked me, she said, are you going to go back to Mexico? And I remember thinking like, like sitting there and saying, I don't know, am I? Is that what's going to happen? You know, like, is that, is that my future? And so, you know, just, it's tough having those conversations with them because it's like I'm making promises, but knowing that I don't know if I can keep those promises. I, I really don't know what's, what the next step will be. I don't know what, again, I don't know what the future holds for DACA, for many of us, a dreamer. And so for me, it's just, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess I try to be as honest as I can and say, you know, I, I truly don't know. But one thing is that we'll continue to pray that we'll continue to to hope and we'll we'll continue to to fight here and 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 do our best and I hope that we can stay here in this country because this is what we know and I guess that's that's the, that's what I've talked to or talked about with my daughters not so much about what would happen if if it would end not so much of we would go back to Mexico you know we haven't really had we haven't really had that discussion. We haven't. I think at the back, even though I can, there's that possibility. There's a part of me that says, no, this is what my daughters know, and this is what I know. And something tells me that, as hard as it may be, and sometimes as as impossible as it may seem, that there's still hope. That there is still a possibility that they can't just they can't just lose us all. You know, I think that. The 600, 700,000 recipients, we contribute so much to this country that I just can't see them saying no more, you have mm -hmm. to leave. I think that they would, they have to see the value in each and every single one of us. Not all of us are doctors, not all of us are engineers, all of us, each and every single one of us, we make an impact, no matter how small or big, we make an impact and we contribute to this country. And I hope that they see that. Absolutely. And what, what can everyone listening do to help to support if someone's listening to this and feeling like well this is not okay I, you know i want to help i want to do whatever i can like what are some things we can do well, i think first and foremost is getting informed let's not go off of what we see on social media or the news it's getting informed find somebody I, I guarantee you that most of us if not all of us most of us we know somebody who is a dreamer who knows a dreamer ask questions, get informed, do some research, and don't just assume that, again, that they're criminals and, you know, all these other labels that, that we're not. I think second of all is creating a safe space. I mean, I think Sarah does a wonderful job. All of you ladies, Heather, Amy, you do a wonderful job of, of creating that, 
creating a safe space. Because especially right now in this political climate, I think it's important for us to know, and I can say this for myself, I think it's important for me to know who our allies are. Who do, who can I trust? Who can I call? Who do I know supports me wholeheartedly? Who sees me? Who hears me? Who's giving me that space? And I think that it's important that we know that because it's easy to be, I see so many who are very um, defensive and I think that, you know, they have the right to do so. You know, they feel like, oh man, you know, like you're on edge. You don't know who, who, who wants you out of this country, who is for you, who is against you. And so I think that it is nice knowing that there is this safe space of there's people who, who support us, who are there right by us, who are linking arms and walking with us and saying, we are here for you. Collaborating, I think there are many, you know, looking for other allies, looking for other organizations, nonprofits who are already doing amazing work. I know that there are many who are looking for donations to contribute to other DACA recipients to continue, for them to continue to renew. Um, especially during this pandemic, you know, how many of us or how many have lost their jobs? How many their career has come to a complete stop? I think one way or another, all of us are struggling right now. And so I think that if we can contribute to at least alleviate some of that pain and that fear of, gosh, can I renew? Can I continue to be here? You know, if obviously if they're able to do so, if they're able to renew, like what are ways that we can do that? And so I think donating or collaborating with organizations that are already doing work like that that's important. And I think another big one is also contacting our local representatives. And I think that even us as dreamers, as dreamers, if you know someone who is a dreamer, is calling our local representatives and urging them to, to defend our rights, to defend dreamers, and asking for a permanent solution. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what we hope for. And again, it's not a handout. It is nothing that we expect for free. We truly are willing to work for it. We are truly willing to, to work our butts off and say, man, this, this is for us and we fought till, till the end, but we're getting something that's more permanent and not, you know, not, not this temporary solution that they've given us, which we're grateful for, but I know that there's, I know that it could be better. And that's what we ask. And just continue to support and empower the community. And so I think you ladies are already doing a lot of that that and more and I thank you I can never thank you enough for for all that you do I mean just even to listen listen to me for the support the friendship the the love everything that you have provided that speaks volumes mm, Betsy mm. I can hug you <laughs> no you're just a like you just you're so worthy and you're so important and valued and you matter so much and it sounds like you believe that in your soul and I just want to say that out loud though too thank you thank you um it's it's been quite the journey I'll, I'll tell you that and you know I shared a little bit of that it's believing that I wasn't believing that I was unworthy because of my status and allowing a label to define who I am but you know this journey has has really taught me that and my life hasn't been easy and and I'm not I know I don't ever share my story for you know for others to have pity and like oh feel sorry for me but just to because I, I want my story or I want my my experience to you know if it, if it could help somebody else if it could give somebody else that permission to own their own story and believe that believe their worthiness 
and embrace it because it's it's definitely taking time and it's still taking time. It's still something that I, you know, continue to to work on because there are days that some days get hard. Some days are some days are a little harder than others and and I think that's when you turn to your community of amazing women, badass women who are like, "Heck yeah, you are." <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for that because if it wasn't for that, man, it's, it would be, it would be hard for sure. Badass women. Woo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like you, your son said, savage. <laughs> savage. That's right. <laughs> oh, Betsy, you are a badass. I just want to say that some, I want to go back quickly to something Amy said a little while ago and that what she said is if it doesn't affect us, we don't need to be aware. And I really clung to that because I think that for most people, that's the thing, right? Like that's the thing that's dividing us. If, if I don't experience it personally, then it doesn't exist, which is a bunch of BS. And I really think that that why people can dehumanize, why they can, you know, they can say, oh, I can, I I don't have to live in this. I don't have to live in fear that I'm going to be shipped out of the United States tomorrow. I, so therefore I can turn my head and I can just act like this isn't a problem. And on top of that, I can add to the problem, which a lot of people are doing. I just want to go off on that and I won't. I'm reining myself in. <laughs> uh, but I know I, I completely agree yeah. with what you're saying because we can see that in, in all the issues that we have going on today, you know. It mm-hmm. hasn't happened to me, so why should I care? Oh, right. Right. It's yeah. not my problem. It's not my problem. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's so it's it's not in my life. It's not in anybody that I care for. It's not in their life, so therefore it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. honestly for me, it's going through this, you know, even though sometimes I wish it would be easier, but going through this has really allowed me to to, to see life differently. Uh, going through through a lot of things in my life have really allowed me to we have so many things in our lives that sometimes kick our butts, you know? And you know, at that moment you're like, dang, why? why is this happening to me? Like, why do I have to go through this? Why did I, you know, like all these why, all these questions. And then, you know, comes the day where you're there and you're just, you're sitting and and I guess evaluating your life, looking back at your life and saying, man, that has allowed me to have a lot more empathy and compassion for other people because I know my life isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. My status isn't perfect my all these labels right the the way that i want to i want people to see me i feel like that's that has allowed me to see other people differently it has allowed me to to not be as as judgmental i can be more honestly welcome welcome others more with an open heart with an open mind willing to listen and would it have been that way if i wouldn't be a a dreamer a daca recipient i don't know I don't know, but I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that that life has given me all that it's given me and that it has really taken me through those rock bottom moments to really allow me to see like, man, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not the only one. And now I can look at somebody else. I can help them. And I can just having that empathy, having that compassion for them. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You know, that going through all this, that's really what it's, it's allowed me to have. And that's what people lack. Unfortunately, that's what people not having that empathy and that compassion for other human beings because they haven't experienced anything like that themselves. It's easy for them just to kind of brush it off and say, eh, it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. 
it's not in my, it's not in my time, not in my world. Why should I care? Yeah. I think one of the things that is coming to the forefront for me is this is encouraging me to stay curious about everything and to like listen to people and trust people when they tell me what their experience is and to keep my heart open. And when I do hear of some loud talk about whatever the topic is, whether it's DACA or racism or whatever it is, to really try to understand and learn more from the sources that are impacted by the thing instead of just what the media is telling me. Because if I do stay curious and I do seek out source information, then I can, I feel like I can take action as an ally instead of just being frozen and not really knowing what to do. So thank you so much for sharing your story, Betsy. And I've been bawling through this whole thing um, because your vulnerability is admirable. And I'm so glad that you're here and I hope you get to stay here. Well, I, I thank you so much. And I know it's I'm being vulnerable is not something that I that I embraced. It's something that little by little, I think I've been taught to do or I think this whole situation is what allowed me to be to embrace more of that because it's not easy. You know, it's I think when I before I would think of being vulnerable as being weak and how wrong was I? You know, it's, I'm being vulnerable. I'm opening up my, I'm opening up my heart and opening up to others. And like I said earlier, you know, I think it just gives others permission to, to continue to do that, to do that. That's the thing is that this life, this journey, this DACA battle, racism, all of this, we can't do it alone. We have to do it together. Mm -hmm. And so when we bring others forward and say, Hey, come on, let's link arms and let's do this together. And I think that that's what this has allowed me to do. I think being vulnerable and sharing with others, that's what it's allowed me to do to invite others to join me and, and to help me and support me and, and walk with me. And if not, just listen, you know, and like you said, um, Heather, to stay curious. I think that's, that's a big one because I can agree. I think that for me, it's allowed me to stay curious with other things, other things that I do not understand, even racism, even all, all the other issues that we're seeing today, staying curious because I don't know it all. I don't have the, the answer and I just want to know more. How can I be a better person? How can I be a better ally for other issues? So that's important. I love that. All right. We're going to wrap up. I do think what you just said, Betsy, I think is a really powerful, you know, note to wrap up on is really educating ourselves about all of the issues that are going on. And the thing about right now that's really hard and also really beautiful is that all of the ways that people are being victimized, being oppressed, are coming out, you know, immigrants, Black people, LGBTQ, it, it's all coming out in, in a totally different, I think, awareness than I can speak for myself, than I've really ever had in, in my own life before. And I think that being able to look at all of the issues, look at look at these issues as human issues rather than political issues and understanding how can we educate ourselves more? How can we get involved? How can we how can we help educate other people? And so Betsy, I just want to say that I admire you. I think you're absolutely amazing. I 
I am really feel very blessed that I've been able to get to know you and have a relationship with you and, and be able to call you my friend. And you, you are an inspiration in speaking up about the, the things that are scary and the things that are hard to speak up about because wrapping it back around to what you said at the very beginning of this episode is fear of talking about it and, and coming out of the shadows and you're a forerunner in, in that, in, in this topic and you're a leader and I hope that you know that and I hope that you you know and you understand how how valuable you are and how helpful this is for us and and for everybody who's listening. Any final words you want to say Amy, Betsy, Heather to our audience before we hop off here? This is Amy. I'll jump in real quick and just uh, encouraging everyone at home to stay open and work hard to make a difference. It just matters to the core of all of our beings. Love that. Thank you. Yeah. And I will say, similar to what Amy said, stay curious, listen. And one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who originally said it, but it's that we belong to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. Sarah, Amy, Heather, thank you. And I'm, and I'm grateful for you. And I think the same of you of, you know, you are such inspiring and, and amazing badass women and who I'm also grateful to, you know, to, to have in my circle, who I'm grateful to, to be a part of as a community. I think many times we're taught to not rock the boat because, you know, that's what we know. That's what's comfortable. You know what? I think that there comes a time in our lives when we have to rock the boat. We have to get uncomfortable. We have to educate each other, educate ourselves to support and um, empower our communities. Because if not, there is no moving forward if we stay right where we're at, being comfortable. So I think that this is the time. This is one of the things that came to my mind is, you know, if not now, then when? And if not us, then who? And it's us and it is now. So I thank you so much for this time. I thank you so much for listening with an open mind and an open heart. And, and honestly, means it means the world to, to me and I'm sure many others. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. You are so welcome. Thank you. All right, my friends, what an awesome interview. We absolutely believe in the power of our stories, and we are so very grateful to our guests who have the courage to speak their truth and share their heart, experiences, and light with all of us. If you want more of the WE podcast, make sure you head over to thewespot.com where you can find all of our episodes as well as the WE Spot blog. The We Spot is your go-to spot for growth, connection, authenticity, and encouragement. You can also find us on social media. Head over to the We Spot Facebook and Instagram pages and get plugged in. You can also find me, Sarah Moneras, on my personal Facebook and Instagram pages as well. If you love the We Podcast, we would be thrilled for you to rate the podcast and write us a review. We want as many people as possible to be lifted up in growth and get connected with our community. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every single week. We can't wait to see you over on social media. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. 
Speak your truth, grow constantly, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.